Welcome to Office Hours with John Gardner. The John N. Gardner Institute for Excellence in Undergraduate Education strives to advance higher education's larger goal of achieving equity and social justice. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host for Office Hours with John Gardner, John Gardner himself. I don't often speak of myself and another uh, person here, but uh, uh, it's live and unrehearsed. And I am really pleased to have uh, someone today who's sort of a namesake, but we are not related uh, in a familiar way. His last name is Gardner, spelled the same as mine. But this is Dr. Philip Gardner, uh, and he is uh, associated with the great Michigan State University. And, of course, my institutional association was very much the University of South Carolina. We're, we're older than Michigan State, but uh, we won't continue the comparison any longer. But uh, Phil and I are both uh, contemporaries in a number of ways, including that we're both um, – Proudly of Vietnam era veterans, and uh, we spent uh, very long careers dedicated to one university, and we have a lot to show for it and a lot to share from it. And I first discovered Phil in 1996 at a uh, conference that I had just uh, inaugurated. It became a series. It's still ongoing now about 35 years, 30 some years later. It's called Students in Transition, and I went to a session done by a guy I'd never heard of before, Phil Gardner, and the uh, session description uh, attracted me, and I thought, oh, this this man is really a good thinker. I want to get to know him, and so we've done a number of things together, and uh, Phil is an expert on a number of things. He's the founder of what's called the Collegiate Employment Research Institute. John, I got to correct you here. Oh, I didn't. Ahead. I didn't found the institute. Oh, uh, the state legislature did, and I was hired as the research director. Uh, I wasn't even the director of the institute. And then, about uh, for the first uh, twelve years, and then I became director of the institute, and I am the director of, of and continue the research. But I didn't found it. I was just one of the founding hires that they made. <laughs> Well, I don't uh, want to. Yeah, we don't want to misrepresent anything. I'd yeah. always thought of you as the founder, but uh, in my head, I probably will continue to think of it that way. But uh, Phil, I'd, I'd like to describe you for our audience just as a kind of teaser of coming attractions that um, I see you and have as, as an authority on what employers, both not for profit and for profit, are looking for in terms of the characteristics, qualifications, and experiences of college-educated recent graduates. And I look at you as um, an expert on how employers have found those graduates to be. Did they meet or not meet employer satisfaction? And I look at you as an expert on uh, the experience of recent college graduates in the job market and other things that I'm not mentioning, but I am confident that many in our audience have an interest in what happens to college graduates and how we do or do not prepare them for that. And um, I really think you're one of the best thinkers I've ever encountered on those kinds of things. So it's a pleasure to have you, Phil. And ladies and gentlemen, from now on, I'm going to do very little of the talking and we're going to listen to Phil. So Phil, and I'm going to speak about you informally, even though I respect you tremendously professionally. So I'd like you to, uh, if you would, please give us a, a summary of the essence of your life story. How'd you get to do this work and how does this connect to your values? Uh, probably goes back to, it's just serendipity. There's mm-hmm. nothing more. I mean, I didn't come at, I mean, uh, I had a great 
um, undergraduate uh, experience at Whitman, and I kind of wanted to be like those professors I had because I thought they were very inspiring, and I thought I could do that. Uh, but I wanted, I didn't want to um, study just one thing in graduate school. So I, in perusing, I found something at Michigan State that led me to do economics and science in kind of the, it was emerging field of environmental, international development kind of things. Um, and, you know, that was uh, really a wonderful experience because it was truly electric. I could cross a lot of disciplines. Uh, I could tackle problems from uh, different perspectives. Uh, I did find out that that doesn't often pay a hot off well in a research-focused university that wants you to do one thing uh, to the very, very pinpoint of its essence, and that's all they want you to do. I was not wired that way. Uh, through, a, again, another serendipitous event because of some budget uh, problems, I ended up um, talking with somebody at Michigan State about eight years after I left, and they had this opening for a research director at Michigan State in this new institute that studied the transition from college to work, which I knew uh, nothing about. I knew about labor uh, uh, capital and my studies because it's important in international community development. Uh, but I said, oh, this will be good. I was just getting into doing a lot of survey-based economic research. And so I needed some, you know, do my skills uh, in survey research. And this would require surveys. So I just, I, they asked me if I wanted to do it. And I thought back of my head, I would do this for a couple of years and then get back onto what I was, other things I was doing. Uh, 35 years later, I was still there. Uh, the big conversation I had though, um, happened on an airplane. I was coming back from a meeting on the West coast. And I was in, on an airplane and the woman sat next to me, engaged me in a conversation and asked, and, you know, I asked, she asked me what I was doing and I, what she was doing. And she was a, uh, engineer for one of the auto companies designing cars for women. And it was kind of exciting. And she asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I'm in really a point of a transition. I've been in this, this job uh, for about four years and I think I'm going to make a move. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure that's where I'm supposed to be. And so she, she really asked me, uh, you know, what, what did I want? It was my first probably conversation that I really took seriously about careers. And when it, all the upshot was when you got through this job had everything I wanted. It was multidisciplinary. I could do the research I wanted. Uh, I was committed to young, young people and trying to advance uh, their stuff. I could work. Um, I didn't have, I, I had given up a tenure track position, so I didn't have the pressure of tenure so I could write and think uh, more broadly. Uh, so after I got through off the plane with her, it was clear that I probably needed to, stay. Um, so this was about two or three years before I met you. And then that's when I really started being able to, uh, you know, focus and do some really nice things in, in, uh, in some research projects uh, and, and, and really started to learn. And I, I was fortunate that I had uh, in, in the approach I took by asking faculty in, in different disciplines to participate. I made some lifelong uh, friends on the research side that 
you know, became my mentors and educators. So I learned organizational behavior. I had some background in it and other areas that I wasn't proficient in, but became a student of as a result of those interactions. So that's, and so I stayed. And then I, um, I said, the only mistake I made is I agreed to be executive director of career services because they had some issues. And I found out that administration is the kiss of death. And so I, um, uh, but I, I've recovered from that and I'm, uh, continuing on to complete some of the things that I had to leave uh, unattended while I did that. So we should conclude that in your case, uh, as in your role as an innovator, we're talking to you in this podcast because of that, that um, a priority for administration would be a kiss of death for innovation for you. Well, I felt it was. I think there's people that are suited for administration and can do it well and can, can manage people. Uh, I found out that I'm not really my strength is to manage others. I work well with others. I just expect them to have a long leash and do what they were uh, want, uh, want as long as they got the job done. That doesn't often work out the way you think it's going to work. Uh, but I, I mean, for me personally, administration wasn't the, 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 the kind of thing that worked well for me. Being the head of research projects and managing research projects was a completely different uh ball game and the expectations were different and I kind of thrived in that environment. So what were you studying? That got what? interested in you? Studying when? In undergraduate and graduate no, school? No, no. Your, your research that you you did uh, that really got you excited. Well first it was, you know, how do they how students transition and and gain early success in the workplace. So this whole uh, socialization in the workplace. Uh, and, and the other thing was, uh, what kind of, um, practices, uh, enhance the, the ability for a student to succeed? And I got into a lot of work, uh, and I still am on, uh, internships and co-ops, which we now call work integrated learning. Uh, and so, and it took, and that took me into other areas that we studied, like what's the impact of study abroad, uh, and, and, and things like that. But it was really uh, the three main pieces were this, how do students uh, exit the university and begin to socialize in a workplace, which is very different? What are the, some of the antecedents that they need outside of academics? So well, we did study academics too. And then I, I was given uh, about 20 some years ago, uh, responsibility for recruiting trends. Uh, so that's where I study uh when are the thoughts of uh, employers in a particular year? It's not a long term. It's it's more about what they're doing at any at, for a short period of time from September to the following graduation period for full time hires and interns. And out of those that area, we developed a lot of insights on what employers are thinking about and what they do. And it's, it's pretty, it's fairly consistent with uh, the things you've come to seen out of the AAC and you and others. And I would, we just got too many studies going on and we continue to do the same studies rather than figuring out how we're going to um, make it part of the undergraduate experience. Um, so the students can have a, a better chance of on the other side. I remember one time you really caught my attention when you reported on a study you'd done of why recent college graduates get fired in their first job after college. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know it, that one caught on. I, I've redone that since then. Um, 
Tell us about it. We're going to publish it out here. I'm going to talk to my research team on Thursday. But in that original study, all the concern at that time was the accelerated use of technologies like personal laptops and things and and the inappropriate use of technologies um, because students were getting into parts of uh, the company that they weren't supposed to and things like that. That pretty much has vanished as those those problems become ubiquitous everywhere. Uh, most of the time, but most of the other factors are continue to um, be similar. I mean, when you look at things that get people, young people in trouble in the workplace, it's being late uh, for work. Uh, it's being not getting your assignments done on time. It's um, lack of in taking the initiative. Uh, and and then when you take a step further, what are the things that are getting them fired? It's more about uh, not following company procedures. Right now, it has more to do with uh, upholding the company brand both on and off the work site. So if you say something that's inappropriate in an elevator uh, in your condo or something and it's caught, um, that, that, that leads to disciplinary action. So it's more about cultural things now than it was about technical things, but it still boils down to the same things. Because if you look at what gets young people promoted, it's taking initiative. It's, uh, it's not only just your skills, but it's all these attitudes and behaviors that we often don't talk about. We're so focused on skills uh, and some competencies that have uh, behaviors embedded in them, but um, we often forget about the behaviors, the work ethic, uh, integrity, empathy, and those kind of things that are really play out big in the workplace. And how, when you were uh, working with students in the Career Center, how did you go about sharing that with them? Well, um, there was a couple ways uh, that we did that. Um, one, I had a trust. I mean, I did. I wasn't a daily advisor. I taught a couple career classes where we shared information. Uh, but what what I had a trust was that the the staff of the career services, which I wasn't really technically a part of, but associated with, would take that research and and those materials we prepared and work with their students with it. And and for the most part, a lot a lot of them do that, and they still do that. Others, uh, not so much so. Um, and. Uh, then I would go, I did a lot, uh, I do a lot of presentations, like, you know, at not only at my school, but different places, talking to faculty and advisors, and even students about some of these changes we see happening, or the importance employers are putting on certain things over others. And so it was just a broad way to network out. Um, last couple of years, I've lost most of that momentum, because I'm not on campus directly anymore, but we keep feeding them our, our reports. See, um, you know, you mentioned the present. Um, how has the uh, pandemic affected um, the student acquisition of these um, skills and behaviors and attitudes that you've referenced, and uh, and their ability to um, implement them in the? Job? Well, that's that's a good question. Um, we'll have to somebody. I'm not, I probably won't do it, but somebody's going to have to look at the young people that graduated uh, in the in the spring of 2000. 20 through the spring, uh, summer of 2021, 
Uh, they they faced a difficult situation because we went to remote work for many of them. Now, not all companies went to remote work, and 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 we have seen at least some preliminary evidence that student uh, young people that were able to actually physically enter the workplace with face to face are are doing much better. Now, it's not being confirmed, but I can see that. So when you, they got put into learning situations online quickly, and then they had a shift to online internships, uh, they became very task oriented in most ways because you can you can complete tasks virtually. They can give task assignments, and, and, and that's initial part of, of learning in the workplace is to learn tasks. But the more complicated ones, the more uh, ones like serendipitous connections, like um, building trust in teams, being able to communicate uh, across different groups, that becomes much more difficult. I mean, there were companies that were were able to do some of that uh, because they spent a lot of time uh, thinking about how they were going to deliver those virtual experiences, probably much more than probably some of the company uh, colleges and universities thought about delivering virtual classes. But um and, and but most of them had to do it rather quickly uh, if they could. Uh, some of them uh, struggled. Uh, there was a lot of issues with technology and things like that. You know, that loss of face to face building. Uh, I think that employers have told us, and we just published an article on this. It's going to come out um, that some of the advantages of the virtual was that. We had, they had to have clear communications about assignments. They had to have more regular conversations between the supervisor and the student or team members and students. So they actually brought them in sometimes in more in depth than they would have if they had actually face to face. And students in return had to manage their time better. They had to, uh, set priorities, uh, much more clearly uh, and with their uh, supervisors than they may have been able to do uh, in person. And the other point point the employers found out, they had to give an assignment and stick with the assignment. Now, what happens uh, in an in when a person's on site and the assignments interns on site, uh, things may be going along and then all of a sudden something happens at the office and they, the, the intern will come in and all of a sudden the assignments will be changed even if it's temporary uh, to do something else. That didn't work uh, virtually. I mean, they pretty much had to keep those interns on what they originally outlined and signed. If they kind of messed things up uh, or wanted to mess um, stir things up and, and ask students to drop that, what they're doing it, and do something else for a while, that presented problems. Um, for students, then the jobs, I think the biggest change uh, and we saw it coming. So the pandemic was just an accelerator. This is the way we look for jobs. Um, the old model was a heavily dependent on career services, holding career fairs and bringing employers to campus and advising students on, re- on their resumes and how to approach the workplace. Uh, most of that has now been uh, shifted significantly as we've gone to some very uh, large uh, employer um software databases like Handshake and Simplicity is catching up and there's 1220. And in these databases, it's more direct interaction between the student and the employer. Uh, we've taken out the middle people of career services. And so there's going to, students have to approach the job search 
very, very differently. Even uh, we've gone to a lot of virtual career fairs. Employers uh, have learned to like those. Now you're going to see a mix of things on many campuses. You're going to see some employers be there physically. Some will participate in small physical career fairs. They're going to participate in virtual experiences. So this whole interface between college and work is really beginning to change. Uh, a lot of emphasis on technology. That puts um, a real responsibility now on the on the student to own uh, their preparation for and taking responsibility for their uh, career plan planning more directly and initiating those contacts with employers. Now, you know that sounds really gay. If we could have students early enough to to provide them the uh, resources they need to begin to do that, uh, and you really know that. Uh, they're going to have to do that after they leave college because that's how the labor market works. But it sends up really some strong uh, red flags because we don't do enough prep work with students in their freshman and sophomore year, uh, how to understand the, uh, what the world works like. It's not so much having, and the skills are required. It's not so much about writing resumes, but it's beginning to understand the importance of having connections and developing those connections in, in and uh, a lot of students don't come with those connections. I'm particularly worried about first-generation students, low so low economic uh, socioeconomic students that in their uh, in their network is not doesn't include family members that are connected to the kind of jobs and experiences that they that they're probably being trained for. They don't have those access points. They can't rely like uh, you know the white students, not all white students, but number of white students have parents that work in those environments. They know how, uh, how it works. They can have make contacts for them. Uh, so we're gonna, if, if this moves as, as quickly as it's moving and stabilizes, career service is going to have to switch quite a bit from being perceived as that's where I get a job to that's where I need to be coached and how and preparate how to approach the labor market, not just getting a job and how I approach the labor market. And then what does that mean in interpreting my major uh, as majors uh, can go to many different jobs? Likewise, a job can take many different majors. Well, there are exceptions, uh, and, and about, but about most jobs. So, I mean, this interface, due to the pandemic, accelerated everything. And it really hasn't stabilized coming out of it yet. Uh, so we're seeing employers still experiment. Employers still going back to campus because they really enjoy that face to face, but not in the ways they traditionally did before. And it and it changes. Um, you know, the employers that come to campus are very large. Uh, they they made a point of it. We do have smaller employers that address their local regional universities, uh, but medium and small employers have a struggle in uh, the, this job. Uh, interface with with students because they're small. They're not seen. Employ- students don't know very much. About, believe it or not, about small employers or even the mid-sized employers. Even though those people hire probably sixty-five percent or more of all students, and we all students that graduate. And we, in fact, we know if they sit down and look at your outcome data at most universities at Michigan State, sixty percent or better work for those kind of companies. They don't work for the big, big companies that can brand on campus.
campus. So students really have to learn a whole different approach here and how to, and when they do get to the stage of looking for an internship or a job, being able to look at those positions on, and on, on their, uh, employer, um, software and be able to analyze those and ask questions. And, and we don't train students very well to do that. So you mentioned the importance of the first two years. Uh, I'm sure we have people listening uh, who have students, family members in college or are working with first-year college students. Um, what would you say, how would you recommend to a college or university or, or families that they lay the foundation for learning how to think about career planning? Uh, how do you start that out? In college? Well, that, you know, there's a lot of, you really want is it really needs to start before students come to um, college, even in high school. Uh, my friend Rich Feller at Colorado State, who has a wonderful program called Use Science, that pe- students can take and figure out not only what their strengths are and what they how that matches with different career uh, pods and things like that. But every student needs to be. You know, uh, we've talked about this before, John. Um, because, you know, as much as I'd like to see freshmen jump into career planning courses, uh, you know, the, the, the whole freshman experience for, at most schools, is it, it's taken up with figuring out how you are as a learner in your classes, just figuring out how to walk across a campus that's a mile and a half one direction and two miles the other and dorm, classrooms everywhere at Michigan State, for example, uh, who your roommates are, uh, who you're going to date, how you're going to get the football game, where the parties are. I mean, it, there's so much going on that first year to throw in something um, for as much as I'd want it in the first year about careers. Um, it often doesn't stick, though, though. I will say we got a new quantitative paper coming out soon uh, that analyzes big data that shows if freshmen voluntarily go and seek out career services or take part in a career service program, uh, they're, ret- they're retained better and they graduate faster than those that don't. Um, and uh, so there is a role to play. I don't think it can be an all on out thing, but I think what you need to do in the first year is set up uh, a place where students understand uh, that they're in a ma- major or a mega major where there's related majors also correspond to career mega careers. And they, so they can begin to see the different career paths that they can follow or they can create for themselves. And beginning the so- sophomore year, begin to create those paths, which means acquire, acquiring the right kind of uh, broader experiences. So your internships, your uh, service learning, your study abroad, uh, being able to participate in organizations uh, of interest or professional student professional organizations, beginning to understand the role of importance of um, internships. And this is where you begin to introduce the, the fact that the skills you're going to build from all these different things come together and uh, and, they're, and they augment each other. You just don't go out and learn one skill uh, from some experience. You may learn uh, be exposed to more than one, a teamwork skill in one particular class, but not in another. But you may learn things that you need. They interact. Uh, there needs to be more coaching in uh, 
you know, reflection on how things are interrelated. Then by the time they get into their, you know, into their sophomore years, they've got to make some pretty uh, specific commitments to getting uh, the right kind of experiences. They no longer have to be uh, internships at co-op. There's a lot of different kind of work experience that have emerged. Um, they can look at uh, whether it's worth their time to uh, augment with uh, certifica- certifications or credentials. Uh, that's a mixed bag. Um, some employers are big on those and others want the students to wait because once you graduate, most when you go into most jobs, there's additional training and credentialing, credentialing that goes on. Um, some of the credentialing that does pay off right away is if you have uh, credentials in a computer language, you can do some you can demonstrate some technical skills uh, that helps verify that you have those skills. Uh, employers like that. Uh, badges we haven't seen pay off as much in my research, but others seem to be high on them. So I, I don't have any comment on badges. Um, but, but but what I'm pointing to is a lot of decisions have to be made by a college student, what how they want to spend their time. Uh, and it's really hard uh, choices to make between whether I'm going to spend more time working on uh, work, uh, you know, getting professional work experience, working on skills and competencies, or I'm going to spend it on the things that I, you know, is part of the undergraduate experience, uh, the, the sporting events, the parties, uh, the socialization, all that's important too, but you have to run a balance. And I, I think that students struggle with that. They, doesn't it always surprises me that whether we're in a terrible labor market like 2008 to 2010, where we've been in a labor market that was robust right before the pandemic, students don't change their behavior. I'll wait until I graduate and then or near when I graduate and figure it out for a lot of students. Doesn't happen in some majors like engineering and business because they, they coach them from the very beginning to be prepared for the job search and a lot of their rankings that are dependent on that. Uh, but in other where other places in the college and um, university, there's a lot of I can put things off and wait until the end. And we see in our data that there's always a big rush uh, in the senior year to get all learn all you need to know about how to do a job search, how to get your resume, start the job search. And that's really late. Mm-hmm. As you may recall, I started at the University of South Carolina a course called University 101. Yes. Transition, you know, from um, college to the workforce. It was the most gratifying thing I ever taught. I'm known for much more for the first year entering college seminar, but now that course has grown tremendously over the past 20 some years at the university. It's a very popular elective and well, it's really valuable. Well, I see it is not just I think there's a lot of I mean, Michigan states, some of their colleges have embedded similar kind of things for their freshman seminars or whatever they call them to orient them to, to the to the university and being in that college. Uh, I think, the, you know, you had me write some of the, the chapter on career services. I don't know who does it now, but. I did it back for a while. And that's what we, you know, you and I talked about. Should I put it in the first year or or should we, should we, should they be in the sophomore year? And that's when I wrote that paper with Jerry Patton Gill. I, well, 
that book about the sophomore year experience yes. and what happens in the sophomore year. Uh, tell, our, tell our listeners quickly about that, that key thesis of the focus of the sophomore year. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I was approached to write an article about the tra- what happens in the sophomore year from the data we have. And what really I find in the sophomore year is, is a place where students get kind of get lost uh, th- th- because it's a big change. Um, what they find in the freshman year, you have a lot of adults around you uh, moving you through that first year. You've got advisors, you got tutors, you got things to keep them engaged. And then the sophomore year, all those kind of adults, except those faculty members you might see occasionally in class, kind of disappear. And all of a sudden, you're on your own. Uh, and I used it back. There was a TV show called Felicity. And, I, you know, they were talking about the sophomore slump. Uh, it's more not a slump. It's more about... Uh, just being disconnected. And we saw a lot of that in the data was how you, how, how you keep a presence and keep students connected in the sophomore year before they then become reconnected in the, in the middle part of their junior year. Because I don't know how all the colleges are set up, but Michigan State has changed this a little bit since we wrote that. But, uh, you know, it's yours in our, you, as a pre-major are accepted into a college, you can be accepted in as a freshman or as a pre-major, but you're really not accepted into the truly into your, uh, you've earned those credits for uh, being a, a, a junior standing. Uh, and so then you get reattached. So there's this little tiny gap in the middle where students kind of get lost, even if they, they're, they're entrenched in that, um, uh, college, they think they're entrenched. That's when we, that's where we inserted our courses and a lot of students took it because they're just trying to figure out now I'm on my own. I'm taking more responsibility. Uh, and they needed some guides to do it. So that was the point of that, that piece. And I, and where Jerry Battengill took that, um, that, that book that they wrote for you guys. Yes. About visible, about visible solutions for invisible students, that we call them the sophomores. And we focused on the importance of developing a sense of purpose in the sophomore year. I don't know if you want to speak about that or not, but... Um, well, since, since we've done that, I've become a big fan of purpose. Uh, it's in all the stuff we write about um, the T-shaped professional and, and having purpose uh, and... This some some stuff out of Stanford that has a lot to do with uh, uh, purpose now in in building your uh, career focus. Uh, it's very very good. I'm a big I'm a big big proponent that uh, it's not about um, having an object. A purpose gives your career object a a, a, per, a goal. Uh, not ha- we we talk about career goals, but we really. They're, they need to be talked about purpose because purpose then allows you to have multiple goals and realign goals rather than fixating on a goal uh, that that you may not be able to accomplish, which leads you in a, you maybe leads you in an awkward place, not knowing what to do. Um, there's there's places that are really working on purpose. Uh, I haven't kept up in that since I retired as much. I let uh, my uh, my colleague that I mentored, uh, who's now at Berry College, is one of the really fine components on purpose, uh, Mark Hunsacker. And, but there's a number of people that are working on purpose. And it's, 
and it's really, really important. So, I mean, uh, and how to, how to get students to think about purpose. Um, we've done a lot of work on the T professional. We have a book out on the T professional undergraduate education, uh, from the business enterprise press. And it, in that it, there's, uh, there's a large segment about, um, purpose because, uh, the T is really the, our way of trying to bring all this together, uh, in, in an image, in a metaphor, that something you can be acted on, uh, rather than just list. If you look at the skills, it's list. You look at courses, it's list. Well, how do they go together? Well, a T-shape has several different components, uh, actually five different components, uh, that need to be merged together. There's deep disciplinary knowledge and being able to be a deep system thinker. So that's the, the, vertical part of the T. And then the horizontal part of the T is made up of interdisciplinary understanding and then um, systems understanding. So you can work in multiple systems that can come later. And then the top part of the horizontal is all these uh, boundary spanning skills, skills that go across uh, outside the discipline. And that would be your uh, teamwork skills, your um quantitative thinking, uh, your um, communications, many of your communication skills, all that, anything that allows you to cross boundaries. And then in the middle that holds this all together, if you put a big circle right where the horizontal and the, and the vertical come together, there's a certain, we call it the me. And the whole way it works is you have to have a strong me, a sense of, it's called uh, awareness, Confidence and purpose. So confidence and awareness build purpose. And the whole T is driven by having a sense of purpose. Uh, so if you read that writing uh, and that material, you'll see a strong emphasis on, on purpose. So we, some of us who are interested in census data have been noticing the um, fact that women uh, in this first eight or 10 years after college now in many cities are earning more money than men. Uh, what would you uh, predict or assume explains that? Well, I mean, I haven't seen exactly that same. I mean, you got to be careful uh, when you compare salaries. Are they in the same disciplines? Are they in the same kind of professional uh, uh, occupations and things? Uh, generally, if it, overall there's, you understand that women uh, are graduating in higher numbers than men. Um, And it's almost 70, 30 now. Uh, In fact, it was a problem at graduation. Now it's becoming a problem in enrollment uh, that it's skewed towards. Huh? Female enrollment for this uh, year is declining for the first time. We're very concerned about that. Well, I, I, I haven't seen it. It doesn't surprise me. I think there's just a, a whole concern over the cost of college. But back to your initial question, I think there's more women that are in higher paying, uh, disciplines that major, select majors, uh, in, uh, in the physical sciences. Uh, they're almost equal. In, they're 50% or more in all business schools. They only lag behind in engineering. Uh, they're, they're catching up in, science, uh, computer science. So in these fields that are, there, there are more of them in well-paying fields than there has ever been. Uh, I think that's part of it. It's their choices that they're making. Uh, and the fact that they're, they're the absence of men. Now, 
going to your second question about enrollments, I think we're in for a big problem. Uh, I mean, you saw the chronic, it was in the Chronicle or. Uh, for our listeners, uh, Dr. Gardner is referring to the Chronicle of Higher Education. I don't know if it was in today's. I, I can't remember if I read today's or, or whether it was in the engineering newsletter. But there's a, a lot of people just think college is way too expensive. And we have not, colleges have not addressed that. Uh, and I think people are, are beginning to question, uh, certainly the men have, and maybe now women, uh, are addressing, why am I going to college, uh, and paying the, and coming out with this debt? We can't sustain this debt. It's, it's just totally unreasonable. Yet there doesn't seem to be any way in the traditional college years that that, that, that seem to be, uh, cost sensitive and, and, and trying to reduce the, the cost of college in some way. I mean, whether we go to, I mean, there, there's all kinds of probably taught, but nobody's doing anything. And I think it's finally run its course. And I think you're going to run into a problem here with a declining, uh, traditional base of students that, uh, want to go to, um, uh, four-year school, so they're 18-year-olds. That population is declining uh, in rather rapidly in parts of the country. The fact that the job market is remains so strong, despite all the issues we have, a lot of the adults that make up oh well over 50% of college enrollments are not coming into the into the market. And I think that's probably why you see uh, a lot of women out. Um, if it's depending on where how the numbers are cut, because the job market is strong and the salaries are up, and so uh, there's it's a disincentive to to go to college right at the moment uh, on that front. So I see these pressures playing out, but unless we solve uh, this this debt problem and, and the need to you know take more and more money uh, to borrow more and more money to go to college. Um, at the same time, a lot of companies are reevaluating some of the positions that require a college degree and saying, you know, we can hire people on credentials and certifications and out of, and and get them in those positions and they can do just as well as a four-year degree and then see what happens after that. So things are changing out there that are putting higher ed in probably a precarious position, certainly for some of them. When you look at your career, Phil, and um, the examples that you would be willing to uh, immodestly perhaps acknowledge as innovation in your own thinking and your work, what, what do you feel best about your own work as an innovative thinker in this area of um, uh, the transition to employment post-college and how we work with students who are doing this? Well, that's that's, you know... I, guess I, I, I know, well, I know. Um, working backwards, I've mentioned the T. I think getting involved with IBM and working on the T was one way for me to conceptualize how uh, a, a professional, an education go, can, can come together to build a, uh, a professional regardless of what they want to do. Uh, it's, it's, the ingredients are all at universities it's, and colleges. It's just a commitment to put them together. I thought that was a, uh, a major piece. I think um, if I had to say, uh, I think it was, was introducing um, 
organizational behavior kind of concepts into understanding the transition of college to work. I, I did it early on and with some colleagues and, and those have been quite received and those studies have been quite influential and in, in over time about how students transition, how they adjust to work and then how we can backtrack and, and begin to build things. Uh, so that got me, you know, the third thing would be a lot of work on internships, un- unpaid internships. What does it really mean? Uh, we've got finally one, our final papers coming out on that. And so I think, you know, understanding the, really the environment of, uh, the internship and the transition space, rather than just reacting to near jerk, uh, knee jerk reactions by commentaries when, when students get upset in a bad labor market, they can't find a job. And, 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 and so we get a lot of knee jerk kind of responses to providing some solid base for understanding why some of this happens or doesn't happen, uh, why we can change certain things and probably can't change others. But I think those are the three, three big ones. Your reference to internships, I think right now, a lot of us in the country are just really intrigued with this extraordinary case of an intern who um, got internships uh, through uh, the Republican Party and various positions in the Trump administration and and gave some of the most important congressional testimony that we've heard in American history, all from what she learned as an intern. Um, But it speaks to many of the skills that she obviously acquired that you've been talking about. Right. Uh, you know, those in those congressional interns and things have been around. They're pretty prestigious. So they take uh, some highly uh, ambitious, highly qualified, really intelligent young people into those because uh, they're not paid. And, um, you know, they if they let them do they let them go and do what they can do. They can do some pretty impressive things. Yeah. Young people can do a lot of impressive things if we just let them do it. Yeah. So could we conclude that um, in spite of all our problems, uh, like cost and the debt students are incurring, that universities and colleges are still places for people like you who are allowed to experiment and study and, and uh, do socially redeeming work that when shared can really help students make the transition to adulthood. Would you agree with that, Phil? Well, I would like to say I agree with that, except they didn't fill my position when I retired. So nobody's going to take over to have the opportunity to do something like that. You know, I think I was, I was very rare in higher ed because I was allowed to do that. I think there are people that can do that. Uh, you would like to think that, um, the the universe the the academic space was a pace place where a lot of creativity could think and th- rethink some of our issues and problems and I know a lot of people are trying that uh, but I don't know if I would come back to higher ed if I had to do it all over again it's 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 messy now and um, and well you said they didn't fill your position maybe we could look at your 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 position hasn't been filled yet no it won't uh, be know, filled I, no it won't be filled. The need for what you're we're doing will be recognized. Phil, if people, I hope I've um, gotten some people interested in reading you. If people want to read you, what do they do? Do they Google? Okay, so that's uh, that's the one good thing that uh, the folks at Career Services have done. They've taken over the Collegiate Employment Research Institute's website, and it's as it it's called. All you have to do is type in C E R I 
.msu.edu in your browser, and it'll bring you to the page. And what they've got there is um, the archives for everything we've done. Um, so there's three things. There'll be an archive for recruiting trends that has almost all the recruiting trends. There's a couple missing that I'll eventually get from the library and copy and, and put their PDFs in there. Then there's... Uh, the, the publication archives, these are more of the things we did internally. There are position papers and stuff. There's a, goes back to 1985. Uh, and there's a lot of all that material. And then they have a tag called publications, which announces our new stuff, uh, that's being published now. We've been, my group has been pretty productive during the pandemic. Uh, so it announces that that's where you can find out about the T book. Uh, we've got a book coming out from the National Center. We hope we haven't heard the final word, but by fall on career services and transfer students that uh, I found at the University of South Carolina, right? Yeah, right. The National Center, and um, then we have our, a lot of journal articles coming up and uh, and accepted. So we put we we do um, send those. But here you describe you can... yourself as retired, and you're as productive as ever. You're not retired at all. Well, I'll tell you what, I, I did retire and I said I went down that black hole administration. And I had to put a lot of um, my stuff aside. So there was a lot of stuff on the table and I wanted to finish that. And I had a book in progress. So we two books, actually, and I got it. They're both done. So I was very enthused. Um, pandemic gave me a lot of time to sit there and um, and and I had some young former grad students that are on the promotion track and they needed publications. So the three of them divvied up things and uh, we got, we pushed those things through actually four of them. And then uh, we're still doing, we've got a bunch of things accepted and now out for publication. They've been reviewed and we're going to, we're going to meet, we're going to meet on Thursday to decide what uh, we're going to do next. Um, I've got a few things left. I, I did. I told you I had, uh, open heart surgery in April. And through that, I imposed, it came to me, you know, I don't need to do this forever. I don't need to sit here and write and publish forever. So we're going to be selective. We're going to come up with uh, some of the things that are left. And then I'll probably bow out. Well, I, I'm uh, going to believe that when I see it, but I don't think I'm going to see it. And I, I want to remind people that they can find your work on the complete, the Collegiate Employment Research Institute at ceri.msu.edu. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Dr. Philip Gardner. And uh, I, his uh, findings over his career have been profoundly influential on me. And I recommend him highly. If For any of you who have children, who are in college, going to college, uh, entering the world of work. Um, th this is uh, material you ought to think about. And if you're working in colleges and universities, uh, most of our students do not live on trust funds, and they are going to have to um, enter the world of work. And um, this colleague of mine has um, some insights that are very powerful that could help you be more effective with your students. So I want to thank you, Phil. Welcome, really great John. It's always good to talk to you. Keep at it. All right. Keep at it. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Just for now. Thank you for joining us for Office Hours with John Gardner. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Gardner Institute. 
And we wish to thank our guests and the entire team who make this podcast possible.